I was thinking back a few, uh, I think it was a few years ago, I've been looking at time hops and um, where we were actually pulling out onto islands and we were just preaching to a camera and you guys were watching and, uh, and it was awesome because God was reaching people through that. But I got to say, man, it's so much better to have you guys here live. You know, that's awesome. <laughs> Praise God for every season and especially this one. Hey, so how many of y'all um, have realized that, uh, or, or you've recognized in the last week or so, that the weather has made the weatherman look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Anybody seen that lately? Okay, and, 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 and it is, it's, it's, it's interesting, because even Friday, man, we had two boats loaded, and I'm looking at what all my predictive weather things are saying, and, and it's like, oh, I just don't want to be out on an island with some, a bunch of kids and thunderstorms coming in, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and then it never rained, nothing happened, I canceled, nothing happened, then yesterday, people were, I, you know, there were severe weather things coming out, and everybody's like, yeah, how many of y'all were like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it? Yeah. And then you saw it, didn't you? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I think God keeps us on our toes with that. But here's what happens this time of year. So Florida, is Florida warm or cold, generally speaking? Yeah, in fact, we're hot, dude. Just say, I'm hot. <laughs> yeah, just say, I'm hot, man. Yeah, you're hot. It's Florida's hot, man. And it's a great thing. That reminds me of God's love because, man, God's love is not cold. It's hot, right? Amen? And so Florida's a hot place. And so all winter long, right, all of the weather in the United States starts, I'm going to see if I can do this backwards, in the northwest, and it comes down to the southeast, right? Any of y'all from the northwest? Anybody here from the north? Thank you very much for all the weather you bring us. If it wasn't for you, we would have no weather here at all, right? So all the weather comes from the northwest down to the southeast in the United States, and so, you know, uh, in the, in the wintertime, you guys remember back in 09, they called it polar vortex, you know, that's winter. <laughs> it's a cold front, man. And the, the, the cold fronts will push down far enough into the state of Florida where those cold fronts will actually make us cold sometimes. Uh, we're not a big enough piece of land to create our own weather. So we're only going to have it when uh, it pushes down that far. And so this time of the year, those cold fronts are losing a little bit of a punch. So the cold fronts kind of come down and, and we're hot. And so what happens is as we have this great heat and the cold is not that strong, we turn a cold front into a stationary front. All right. We, we make it lukewarm. We turn it into a stationary front. And there's three things that happens with the air because it actually kind of comes in as a wedge because hot air rises. So when it comes, hot air is rising and you can see the cold front come. So some of the cold air stays where it belongs, where it's cold. Some of the air kind of gets really unstable. And that's literally where you're going to have the thunderstorms and everything is right where the air is super unstable and it's not comfortable. It's not hot. It's not cold. Doesn't that sound like you when you're lukewarm? Aren't you a big troublemaker when you're lukewarm, you know, in all of that? And then some of the air just takes to it and gets hot. And it's like, ah, oh, and that air is good. So three ways. So this is what happens. So uh, the cold air stays cold. The hot air, man, some of the cold air gets hot, and that's all good. But some of the air is unstable. And so, it, so that's, uh, it, it's just an unstable air mass. And we create that kind of a front. And so it meanders up and down, up and down. And it can be a couple hundred miles. And if you're on the right side of that stationary front that's not so stationary, 
it, weather's awesome. It's like Friday. Everybody's like, well, where's the rain? Where's this? Where, you know, right? Now I'm stuck with my kids all day. No, they're supposed to be on an island and they don't want, no, I'm just, I'm messing, I'm picking on you, but it's like, man, it's like, we're, well, I was supposed to play golf and I canceled or I did whatever. And, and so we don't really know. That it's, it's turbulent right there, but if you're on the right side of it, man, the good side, where it's just all warm, man, everything's cool. You're up on the cold part, well, you're just as cold as you used to be, and if you like that stuff, you're okay there. But it's in that unstable area. And so God's love is kind of the same way. We don't really know what it... So I, I, I equate it this way. Whenever I've been watching this for years... I see the warm air of Florida, and I equate hot Florida air with love, right? With God's love. How many of y'all love the heat? Yeah, as long as you can stay wet, dude, you're good. <laughs> you get your pair of these, and one's wet, one's dry, and you're good. That's all you need, all right? You got to stay wet. And uh, so, so again, man, that warmth is like God's love. Isn't God's love warm? It's just warm. It warms you. It's a good thing. But when cold, that's evil. And I'm not saying you people from up north are evil. <laughs> I am saying I don't like what you bring to us, all right? But, you know, it, it never fails, man. At the end of summer, all the flirty, and a lot of people, who, especially people who moved here, they're like, oh, I just can't wait for the air to get colder. Ashley, I can't wait for it to get cold. It's so hot. How long does that want for cold air last? About a week, right? Not even like, it can be hot again. So again, we've got this warm Florida air, which is like God's warm love. And then you've got this cold, evil air coming in, which is, which is evil. I mean, it's just like a cold person. Any of y'all know somebody who's cold? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we get cold sometimes, don't we? When we aren't full of God's love, we're cold, right? And, and so we come down and all of a sudden you meet God's love and you got some turbulence going on, right? You have a choice. You can back off and stay cold. Anybody, how many of you have ever backed off of God's love and stayed cold? Yeah. I bet every one of y'all have done that. You just don't want to admit it. And you're doing it right now because you're lying to me. But it's like, but, but so you, you hit God's love and you're like, I don't want that right now. And you back off and stay cold. You know, some of you say, dude, I want nothing but God's love. And you just dive in head first and you're all warm and gushy inside. You got God's love. But man, how many of y'all have ever experienced the turbulence of God's love? It's like, I want it, but I don't really want that change in my life. Well, I don't want this. Man, you're back and forth. Like, I want it, and then I don't want this. I want this part. I want this. We want to pick and choose. And, and it's there that that's where the storms are created. So man, what we're supposed to do as believers, if we love God, what does he cause us to do? Love others. Loving God's that vertical strut of the cross, reaching up to heaven. And if we love him, we love who? Others. We reach out to others. That's how you know you love God. If you don't love others, you, you don't love God. I don't care how many Bible verses you can throw at me. I don't care how many things you do that are good or whatever. If you don't love others, you don't love God. And that's his word. That's what he said. And so in here, we're supposed to be that warmth of God's love. We're supposed to be that. And when somebody cold comes at us, dude, what do we throw at them? We throw at them the warmth of God, God's love. But yet they're unlovable. How in the world are you going to love somebody that's unlovable? How many of y'all know somebody or have ever met somebody? You ever met somebody that was unlovable? Even for, in the mirror? No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> yeah, this morning, yeah, we meet people that are unlovable, right? 
And, 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 and so, so again, do you know what we're supposed to do with unlovable people? Oh, yeah, man. Or are we supposed to take our, our cameras that we have now and record them and put it out on Facebook to show everybody what they look like? No, we're supposed to love them. Man, how many of y'all would say it's hard to love somebody that's unlovable? Yeah, but the only source of love to be able to love somebody that's unlovable is who? It's God. And that's where we started last week in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about God's love. And when, I'm sure when I posted the... Uh, JJ, I'm trying really hard. Oh, there we go. Uh, when, I put, when I gave him the PowerPoint, he was probably looking at it going, oh my goodness, what are we going to... I don't even know what the PowerPoint's going to look like, but we're going to see here. And, uh, and, and I know it's going to be perfect. It always, it always is. But we started last week in Ephesians chapter 5 to be like God. And God is love. And it started with um, a, a therefore in Ephesians 5. And whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to go to the previous verses to see what the therefore is there for. And so it backs up into Ephesians uh, chapter 4 into this. And here's where it starts in Ephesians 4. The, Paul is telling the Ephesian church, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I've heard so many different ways of people saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, this grieves the Holy Spirit. This grieves the Holy Spirit. This grieves. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit according to this passage of Scripture? When you don't realize that your eternity is secure, that you are set. It is a done deal that heaven is yours, and you're not going to be here but for a little bit of time, and yet you make this whole life about you. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, look what he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. How long are you sealed by the Holy Spirit of God? Forever. Once you got saved, he sealed you. You remember the very beginning of Ephesians, God picked you. Even though you were a one-legged player, you're the star number one draft pick for his kickball team. I'm just saying he picked you before the time ever began, and, and Christ purchased you, and now the Holy Spirit is preserving you, He's sealing you, He's protecting your salvation. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One day, you're going to be glorified, and you're going to be just like God. I hate when preachers do this, but man, look at the next person next to you, and can you believe they're going to look like God one day? I mean, can you really believe it? Marley, look at Chuck. Can you believe he's going to be like God one day? I'm just saying. Guys, man, we're going to be perfect. And so he said, you realize if you're born again believer, if you've given your life to Christ, your home is where? It's heaven. Is there anything that can be done to take that away? No. Can you mess up so bad? He's like, oh, I made a mistake picking that guy. No. He knew in advance how horrible of a kickball player you'd be with one leg. I'm just saying he picked you, and he picks you, and he looks at what you're going to be in the future, and in the future, you're going to be just like him, every single one of us. So he says, your eternity is set. Quit living in this life. Here's what we've got. We've got three enemies. We've got the devil, who's the enemy, and a lot of times people are all like, oh, the devil made me do this. No, if you're a Christian, he can't. Oh, the devil's attacking. No, it's not. The, really, the devil has a world system that our flesh loves. That's the bottom line. So yeah, the devil's attacking you by throwing out the world system that your flesh loves. And when your flesh says, oh, I'm going to do it God, my way instead of God's way, now you jump into this world system, and yeah, the devil is attacking you because you have volunteered in that. And God says, man, that's what grieves the Holy Spirit. Live worthy of your calling is how Ephesians chapter 4 started. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by acting like you're not saved, acting like you're not redeemed in this. But look what he says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And we talked about that last week when we said that God's love looks like, y'all remember the F word? Forgiveness. Yeah, Ashley was going to answer real quick before we got any wrong answers, right? Yeah, forgiveness. God's word. Because look, man, if you've got bitterness, you need to do what? What's the F word? Forgive. If you've got wrath for somebody, anybody ever had wrath for somebody? If you, if you had wrath, what do you need to do? Even if they're unlovable, dude, they're cold air coming in on my warmth. <laughs> I got to forgive them for that. <laughs> Every snowbird seat, no, I'm just joking. It's like, uh, we do joke. Don't you guys joke? Oh, we brought this with you. And you're, you think it's a joke. We know it's reality. Every year you bring it. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so if you've got wrath, you got to forgive, right? If there's anger, you got to do what? What do you got to do, Gary? You got to forgive. If there's clamor and slander, that's you passive aggressive people. You don't really attack people up front. You just talk about them behind your back and get a big posse of people to do it. If there's that, what do you need to do? Forgive. He said, get it all away from you along with all malice. And that's where last week we looked at God's love is forgiving. And, and we went for hours literally on that. <laughs> We did, didn't we? How many of y'all were here? You're like, yeah, he admitted it. Hours, yeah. <laughs> hey, blame it on the Holy Spirit, man. Like I said, if you need to get up and walk out, you go ahead, man. That's between you and God. I got to do what I got to do. But you're like, well, then get on with the point. Quit. <laughs> That's how he made me. All right, look at Ephesians. Look at the next part, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. You can't be kind and tenderhearted if you've got that anger and wrath and malice, if you're bitter towards somebody. Again, he says, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. So even if you don't want to forgive somebody, you forgive because you were forgiven. And if you go back to the notes from last week, let me send them to you. Go back to the message and you can relook at it on, on our, our website, Facebook, wherever. Ask JJ where you can find it and he'll tell you. All right. But it's there and you can find everything you need to know about that forgiveness that God wanted us to know last week. So look what Ephesians chapter four, uh, the beginning of chapter five looks like. He said, therefore, because you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, your eternity is set. Because he doesn't want you to live with bitterness and wrath and all that stuff, he says, be what? What's the next word? Imitators of God as beloved children. How many of you ever seen somebody imitate somebody? <laughs> Can somebody imitate me? No, I'm just like... <laughs> I bet you guys go home, you're like, he was like, whoa, <laughs> he was rolling on the ground, whatever. It's like, I don't, well, imitators, kids, man, you ever watch them imitate? Yeah, they imitate you. Uh, down there in the children's ministry, they are learning more about you parents than I'm ever going to learn right here because of how your kids are acting down there. You're like, oh, isn't that right? Yeah, and because apple don't fall far from the tree, right? And it's your fault. They have your genes. I'm just saying. But you got good kids, man. They're perfect, right? Just like, yeah. It's, no. <laughs> Look, he said, be imitators of God. Who are you a child of? Yeah. So if you've got God's genes, what should you look like? And God is love. So that's where be imitators of God as beloved children. Act like people that God loves. You know God loves you, and you're focused on the fact God loves you, and He's forgiven you, and you're only here for a little bit of time, and your, your eternity is already set. He said, man, act like that, and, and, and show people who God is. As children who are loved, show other people what that love is. And so he goes and he says, walk in love 
as Christ loved us. So we have to walk in the love that we receive from Christ. And in fact, in reality, that's really what we're looking at in the Word of God. In the Word of God, we're trying to figure out who God is, not what we can get out of the Word of God. There is a very bad man-centered theology that's going around and growing rapidly. Ooh, God will do this. God will do that. God will do this. God's No, it's not about you. Did you know the Bible's not about you? It's about God. And when you learn who God is, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> I, yeah, OMG. I, I, was, I was, yeah, some of y'all sent me that whole, uh, in my humble opinion last week. <laughs> y'all were sending me that. But oh my God. Oh my God. Every time I learn about him, it's not slang. It's not disrespectful. It's like, oh my God. That's who you are. You are awesome. You're mighty. You're, you're magnificent. Not, what can I get out of this God now? Hey, would it be wrong to marry somebody for, you just sat on the front row, bro. What's your name, man? Eric. Eric, would it be wrong to, he was like, I'm going to be in the splash zone no more, man. <laughs> would, <laughs> would it be wrong to marry somebody for their money? Yeah, it would be. All right, people do it, but how many of y'all think it'd be wrong to marry somebody purely for their money? How many of y'all think it'd be wrong to just marry somebody purely because of what they can give you? Some of y'all are like thinking, oh, not all your hands are going up this time. Uh, yeah, it is. It's wrong. So how many of y'all think it would be totally wrong to be in a relationship with Almighty God just simply because of what He can give you? Man, again, that might rack, whack your theology out a little bit, but the fact is, is man, we fall in love with Him because of who He is. We start finding, not what He can give us. Yes, I want forgiveness. Yes, I want a free trip out of hell that I had earned. Yes, I want all these things. But man, I want who? God. I want God. That's what I want. And the more I learn about Him, the more I want Him. And I can't wait to be like Him. And I want Him. How many of y'all want God? Yeah. That's what we're striving for, man. When you're reading the Word, God, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me, because I want you. So it says, walk in love as Christ loved us. The same way He loved us, love others. How many of y'all deserve to be loved by God? How many of y'all say, yeah, no, I didn't really earn it? <laughs> yeah. It's, so other people don't have to earn your love. You love them because God loved you. And if you love God, He caused you to love others. So he gave himself for us. Look at this. He loved us. And here's the second part. Last week we talked about love is what? Love is God's love is what? Forgiving. This week we're going to talk about God's love being sacrificial. Because look at this. He gave himself up for us. And it was a fragrant offering or sacrifice to God. If we get through this today, we'll hit the fragrant sacrifice next week. Otherwise, that may be Easter Sunday morning. I don't really know. Uh, I just know this is what we're supposed to do today. So God's love is sacrificial. If you're going to love, you have to be what? Yeah, it's not about my life. It's about whose life? Others, whoever he brings. That's what it's about because my life is set. And let me ask you a question. How many of y'all love, how many of y'all know selfish people? You know people, whenever they call, whenever they knock on the door, whenever they're coming, they want something. They're gonna, how many of y'all know those people? Takers. How about this? Takers. Anybody know takers? How many of y'all know givers? Anybody know givers? Which would you rather have knocking on your door, a taker or a giver? I'm talking extreme, an extreme taker and an extreme giver. Which one would you rather have? 
yeah, the, everybody likes givers. So be one of those. People like that. I'm just saying. That's who you are. And if we were doing everything in our power to make everyone we encounter a success, man, it would be a great world. And that's what God's called us to do. So God's love is sacrificial. It's not about me getting what I want. It's about me wanting what I get, which is encounters to be able to show his love towards others. It's about God bringing me freezing cold people. Freezing cold people, man. And, and I throw God's love. And you know what I might get? They may stay cold. You know what else I might get? I might get a bunch of turbulence because they don't know how to accept the love. They're still trying to figure out, what is your motive? What do you want? What are you trying to get at? Nothing. I just love you. But I might get someone who falls in love with Christ and has that warmth. I'm not responsible for the result. What am I responsible to do? Love. That's it. God's love is sacrificial. It's not about me. It's about others. And so in doing this, man, I was praying. I'm like, all right, God, where do we go with this God's love is sacrificial? And I'm thinking, duh, it's Easter. <laughs> Next week is what? Palm Sunday, I think, right? Am I, am I off a week? Palm Sunday? You know, that's where everybody's like, oh, Jesus, we want you, we want you. And then the following week, they figured that wasn't the God they wanted. So they crucified him the following week. And then he rose again, which will be Easter sunrise service. And see JJ if you want to help out in parking and all that kind of stuff, because maybe you didn't hear that at the beginning. But JJ, raise your hand just so they know who you are. Yeah, you wanted it. Sunrise service is awesome. It's in two weeks. Check that out. All right. So as I was praying, I started about thinking of Jesus' last hours, uh, really his last 24 hours or so. And again, so in this outline, I'm going to hit highlights. Every single one of these bullet points is something that we could spend weeks studying. And what I did is I put down the different chapters that all of this is found in so that you can take notes and go back. If you want to take a screenshot when it's up there, or if you just want to text me later, I will text you this outline so you can look and study this and check it all out. And you'll see what I mean here in a minute. But don't get worried, I'm not preaching every chapter on every point here. They're there for your, your perusal. But man, and, and if you have something to add to one of these points at Driftwood, you can do that, right? Y'all know that? Raise your hand and, and say, oh yeah, what about this? So Mac, I'm expecting to hear from you, right? You know, otherwise I'm thinking you're sleeping, lights on, nobody home. You've just got that church stance there. All right, last hours. These is, this starts like Thursday night. And, and at the very beginning of Thursday night, on the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, he has his last supper with his disciples. He's got it all set up, you know. I'm going to try not to go in a lot of detail. I want to let you guys go read it. It's actually found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13 through 18, which is pretty cool. And we'll get to that. But, uh, and, and there'll be the, these, these numbers will be in there, and, and all these stories you'll be able to find in these little sections. And go home and just read it. You want to find out who God is, and you want to find out the detail, he'll rock your world if you do that. But it started off with his last supper. He's like, yeah, it's Passover, and I'm getting ready to change Passover. I'm getting ready to die on a cross. They thought he was going to be a king and kick Roman tail and now be in charge of everything, and now the Jews were going to be back in charge. That's not what he planned. He said, I want to be king of your heart. I want to be king on the inside. One day I'm coming back to be the king on the outside. But the best thing right now is me to be the king on the inside. He said, so we're going to have a last supper. We're going to have this time together. And who did he want to hang out with more than anything at this last supper, y'all? Yeah, man, the apostles. Man, he had invested three years in their life, Brandon. He's, he, he gave them all this stuff. And, and now he's telling them, I'm going to die and go away. They were like, they didn't get it. 
They didn't even get it after he died. They're like, what just happened? We gave up our fishing business, our everything. What? What? And, and he said, you'll get it later. And in fact, um, so in this, he starts off the Last Supper by doing what? He took off his garment and put it around his waist. And what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. That was the lowest thing anyone could ever do. In fact, when he got to Peter, what did Peter even say, y'all? <laughs> you ain't washing my feet. And, and he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, I'm got, I'm, I'm, you got no part of me. Then he said, what, Charlie? Well, don't wash my feet. Wash my head. Wash my whole body. He said, no, no, you've already been washed. You just need your feet washed from walking in this world. That's a whole other message there. But he showed them. He said, man, the greatest of you, because they had been arguing. Ooh, when Jesus kicks Roman butt and we're in charge now, who's going to be the number one guy in your kingdom? Who's going to be your general? Who's going to be? And he's like, yeah, you know, the greatest of you is going to be the what? The least of you. The greatest leader is the greatest servant. This is what Christ said. That's crazy. That's why God's love is sacrificial. And, and, and so he washed their feet. And, and, and that kind of one, they're still kind of talking about all of this. He's having dinner with them, telling them all the stuff that we go over in the Lord's Supper, that, hey, a new covenant's kicking in. I'm changing it. It's all going to be based on my blood and not your performance and all these things. And, and I think after he, they, he said he was going to die, all they heard was, wah, 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 wah. They didn't hear anything. What, what, what? And they missed it all. In fact, in John, if you want a good read, of how much Jesus loved his disciples, go to John 13 through 18. We spent months preaching through that one time, maybe about a year ago. And during all that, that's the time where he says, hey, after I'm gone, I'm bringing the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He's going to live inside you. It's actually going to be better for you to have the Holy Spirit live in you than me to walk alongside you. Chris, isn't that hard to believe? If you had Jesus literally coming on the bridge job site with you every day, would you be, you'd be introducing everybody to him, wouldn't you? How come you're not now? Ooh, and I don't know that you are. I just accused you of something, didn't I? I'm just saying, in court, in wherever you are, Gary, whatever you do on fishing, whatever, I don't know, man. Like, whatever you guys do, if you had Jesus right next to you physically, here you're walking and strutting in somewhere. Walmart, dude, the grocery store. Matt, you walk in and you're like, oh, hey, it's my buddy Jesus. Hey, look, would you have no problem introducing him? And would you be afraid of anything, anything going on in life? You know, you listen to CNN, Fox, oh, and you're like, oh, what do you think, Jesus? Oh, yeah, it's all cool, man. I got Jesus. He said, it's, how many of y'all think it would be really cool to have Jesus arm in arm with you physically right there? How many of y'all said, dude, I'd have no problems in the entire universe if I had Jesus right there next to me? How many of y'all think that'd be just the best? He said in this dissertation, John 13 through 18, he said, it's actually better for you that the Holy Spirit, which is just like me, lives inside of you. you he said, it's better because now he, I mean, if Jesus is with me, who can't he be with? Hey, yeah, he can't be with you, right? If he's with me, he can't be with you. If he's with you, he can't be with me, right? But the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus, in the Spirit can be with every single one of us at any time of the day. Dude, Kevin flies to Haiti. What if he took Jesus with him? I'm just saying, dude, where is Jesus when I need him? Well, he's on a plane with Kevin in Haiti, and, you know, it's like, when's he getting back? Well, I don't know, man. It's like, no, it's better. But we live in this physical, tangible world. That's why we think having him physically there would be better. But man, God Almighty, the God of the universe, 
the God who saves us, the God who's keeping us saved, where does he live? Inside. But we quench the Holy Spirit when we act like he doesn't. When we live for ourselves and we live for this life and for this world, we're on our own. And then we back up, oh God, hey, where have you been? God's like, I never moved, right? It's like that old couple that was in the pickup truck back in the day. How many of y'all remember pickup trucks with bench seats, man? You know what I'm talking about? The old bench seat. And man, husband's over there driving. And remember, and, and, and see if you can imagine this man, when, when they were young, dude, and dating, she'd be all snuggled up next to him. Anybody ever do that? Driving in the pickup truck on the bench seat, all snuggled up, man. Now I know how old y'all are, right? But man, and, and, and all of a sudden, now they're old, and she's over by this window, and he's over there, and she goes, honey, boy, you remember when we used to all be snuggled up and everything? He said, I didn't go nowhere. Get it? I didn't go nowhere because I got the steering wheel. <laughs> That God didn't go anywhere. If you're not snuggled up with God, who went somewhere? I did. Man, he's still where he is, always. He wants that intimacy with us. But we got to quit living like it's about this life, and it's here, and it's now, and this. And, and our life has to be focused on love, which is forgiving and sacrificial. So during this Last Supper with his disciples, that's what he's bringing up, man. John 13 through 18, you guys got nothing to worry about. I know you don't even understand what's going on now, but the Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you everything. Did y'all know that, Kim? You, man, do you know that you can know everything that you've got to know? Do you ever feel like you're lacking, that God's kind of holding out on you with your kids, trying to raise them? But he promised, that's what the Holy Spirit promised. John 14, 26, one of my favorite verses. He says, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will teach you everything you need to know. And how many of y'all are old and forget? Let me see your hands. Old and forgetful. All right, how many young and forgetful, right? Yeah, he, he says, and I'll bring to remembrance everything I've already taught you. Man, go read that passage of John 13 through 18 and the promises of the Holy Spirit. But again, it's not so we can walk around, oh, I have the Holy Spirit and you don't, or I have the Holy Spirit and I can show. No, it's so you can be forgiving and you can be sacrificial because that's the Holy Spirit's going to show you what God wants. And if you want what God wants, you get what you want. And if you want what God wants, you're going to love others. It's going to be about them and not you. Making it about you, making it about now is what quenches the Holy Spirit and makes you miss him. So man, in that Last Supper, they have the whole Last Supper. Remember what he told Judas even? He was telling about, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. And what did every one of them say when he said, you're going to betray me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? You know? And, 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 and he actually even told Judas, go ahead and just do it. And they thought he was sending them off. And Judas took off and betrayed him. That's when he then has the intimate discussion in John 13 through 18, now that Judas is gone. But man, during that Last Supper, that was time where he wanted to just have intimate fellowship. But what were they all arguing and worrying about? Rick, what were they all arguing and worrying about? Yeah, dude, who's going to be the greatest? Little did they really know because they didn't listen. Jesus was going to get crucified and murdered in a bloody way. That was not what they were expecting because they weren't listening. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going? And all Jesus wanted was fellowship with him, right? So they kind of let him down. And Jesus could have called this whole thing off at any point in time. You know, here's how the whole plan started. In fact, in John... 13 through 18. At the end, you'll see the priestly prayer. And we talked about it when we studied it in here. Here's what Jesus said. Here's the plan. 
all right? And you can go back and study it and look at it, but here's the plan. Back in the day before there was anything, there was God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, and they were here in eternity. They had nobody to cause any trouble. How many of y'all are troublemakers? <laughs> yeah, he cre- you're a troublemaker. And how many of y'all are messed up people? Or yeah, and, and, and here's what happened. Before they created any messed up people, any troublemakers, anybody, what happened was they had perfect unity. How many of you, if you had perfect unity, would bring other people in the world to mess that up? You know why he brought y'all into the world and me into the world? Because he loved us and he has a plan. And so what happened was there was no people and they came up with a plan. We're going to create some people, okay? And we're going to give them a free will, to be able to do what they want, because if they're robots and they obey, that's not really love. So the only way we can really show that that we love him is by our obedience to him. So we're going to create some people and they're going to be messed up, okay? After the fall, after they mess up with Adam and Eve and all their offspring, they're going to be messed up. So how many of y'all qualify so far? You're in the box of messed up people that he is getting. All right, that was it. And so they said, we're going to create a box of messed up people of all ages right here. And he, and he said, in that box of messed up people, all right, guess what God the Father says I'm going to do? I'm going to give them to you, Jesus. How many of y'all would love to have a box of messed up people? Any of y'all? <laughs> do you want a box of messed up people? You're like, I already got a box of messed up people. How about a bigger box of messed up people? You know what Jesus said when he got a box of messed up people? What did he say? You! He was like, yes, I got a box of messed up people. Because what was he going to do with the messed up people? He was then going to come here and live a perfect life and go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of all the messed up people. And, And when people accepted that and they had the faith to believe that, and then and, and they were in that box of messed up people. Now he could begin the process of making them perfect. He starts with redemption and them having the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And then he's going to have them here on the planet for just a little bit. How many of y'all are here on the planet as a messed up person in Christ for just a little bit? How many of y'all know it's not forever? You know, here you are just a little bit. And he says, the more they sell their soul out to me. The more they do what I want them to do, the more they love others instead of themselves in their own life, the more they do that, the more they're going to become like me. And then at the end, when it's time for everyone who's ever been saved to be glorified, I'm going to make them perfect and they're going to be just like me. So Jesus gets a box of messed up people, and because he knows everything, can do anything, and he's everywhere, he's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. This is great. Oh, I can't wait to make this perfect. And so he started with redemption. So what he does on the cross was part of the plan since eternity. It wasn't some like, oh no, what do we do now? God God just got killed. (gasps) No, it was part of the plan so he could begin the process of redemption. And one day he knows you're going to be perfect. And then when Jesus finally makes you perfect and you're in that box of perfect people, can you see yourself in the box of perfect people? He's going to wrap you up. Have you ever been wrapped up in a crowd? I don't want to know that. Never mind, but I shouldn't ask that. But you're in a box of wrapped up people. And guess what Jesus does with this big box of wrapped up people, y'all? Woo! 
he gives it back to God. So he's got this big present, man. And he's like, God, guess what? Guess what, God? And how many, have you ever thought about the fact you're going to be in that box? And you're like, oh, man, God ain't going to be happy to get. No, no, because Christ has changed you. That's what brings him glory. Dude, if he can change you, he can change anyone, right? And, and so, so, man, it, he, Jesus has now gone through this magnificent feat to make all you losers look like him. And I say that in love because I'm there too. I saw when it, I'm just saying, we're in that process. And if God can make us perfect, oh my goodness, who gets the glory? Karen, do you get any glory at all in you becoming perfect? No, because you just went along for the ride, sister. That was it. Ask your husband. I'm just saying, man. So, so here it is. Jesus has this wrapped up present, this box. How many of y'all are in this box? Let me see your hand if you're in the box, man. <laughs> I want you to think about it. Here you are in the box. And I think inside we're going to know God's fixing to open the box, y'all. God's fixing to open the box. And we already know God's going to be so stoked when he opens the box. And here we are. We're looking. We hear the paper wrapping. God opens the box. And when God looks down, he's like, oh, oh, this is the best gift I could ever have. Did you know you were God's gift to God? <laughs> God gave you to Jesus messed up. Jesus went, made you perfect, and God gets you back as perfect. And guess what? You get to live that way for eternity. This is what he's teaching them on the night before. He's, he's getting ready. Did Jesus know he was going to get beat beyond recognition? Absolutely, because that's in the book of Isaiah. Did Jesus know that, they, that, they, that he was going to get beat with a cat of nine tails? Did Jesus know everything that was getting ready to go down? He didn't even know he was going to try to pray in the garden, his human side needing to pray, finding strength from the Father, and his disciples were going to fall asleep and ditch themselves. Did he know that as soon as he got struck, all of his sheep were going to scatter? None of them were around when he got crucified. We'll talk about that in a minute. He knew all of that. So could Jesus, how many of y'all, if it was you, you would have made that last supper about yourself? Yeah, we probably would have, wouldn't we? And rightly so. Well, if this is all going to happen to you tomorrow, then man, let's just make this your day. Who did Jesus make it about? Others. He didn't want to leave them hanging, wanted them to be prepared. Man, go back and read those chapters, especially John 13 through 18, of what he tells them. I'm the vine. Man, your branches on the vine. All those things all happened so he could tell them, I'm not leaving y'all hanging. There's a plan, and it's all going to work out, and it's going to be awesome. But they weren't listening. Wouldn't it be a shame to have all this great information and not listen? Aren't you glad we don't do that? Listen. So man, everything about that last night was about them. Even when he went to the garden, because look at this next part, he prays in Gethsemane. Even when he was in the garden, by the way, if we don't finish this, we can finish it next week, all right? Uh, we'll stop wherever God tells us to stop. And you help me out and know that, all right? No, I'm just, but Jesus praying in the garden. When he came into the garden, what did he already tell Peter he was going to do three times? Or deny him, right? And what did Peter say? Mary, what did Peter say? Hey, Mary, you're going to deny me. And what did Peter say? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not going to deny you. Hey, when God Almighty, who knows everything, tells you you're going to do something, what are you going to do, Brandon? Yeah. 
So what should you do if God Almighty said, you're going to deny me? I am not. I'll fight to the death for you. I'll do the... No, Peter, you're not. If you, he's told you that, what should you be doing as your only hope of not doing that? Praying, praying, saying, God, man, help me be strong. God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. You should be praying. And on the way, when Jesus is trying to take Peter, James, and John in the inner circle with him, He's saying, you guys better pray for your soul. There's some stuff fixing to go down that you ain't ready for. I already know you're not. I tried to prepare you, but you got to pray. God will show you life from his perspective. And what did they do instead of pray? They slept. Maybe they were still trying to figure out how it all was going to work out for them. Wait a minute. All right. Metaphorically, he's going to a cross and Maybe it's not really, it's just, you know, and right away, I don't, you know, they're just trying to reconcile their view of God with God's view of God. If your view of God is different than God's view of God, what do you need to do with your view of God? You got to toss it. <laughs> you got to get it out of there because there it was. And so Jesus is saying, guys, come, you guys need to pray. You need to pray. And they slept. And then Jesus prayed so hard. Most of his prayer, when you look at it, was for them. He was like, yeah, God, if there's another way to do it. I know this has been our plan since way back in the day, but if there's a whole other way to do this, man, God, we can do it. Let's do it that way. But if not, I'm, I'm good with it. Your will, not my will. Because Jesus was sacrificial. Even he sacrificed all the rights to supernatural stuff to his father when he came here as a baby. Everything about him was sacrificial. But he said, yeah, if this is the way to do it, then God, let's do it. And it's only temporary. I mean, how many days did it last? <laughs> it's temporary. And where did he go after it was done? Heaven. And back and forth. Yeah. So he knew it was temporary. See, the problem is when we don't see things as temporary, we think this life is permanent. We think these situations are permanent. And they're not. How long do troubles last? Not forever. And they're only in your life for your for God's glory and your good in this. So man, Jesus is praying in Gethsemane and his prayer even there, as he was literally, medically, they say it can happen, you can sweat drops of blood. It was that intense of a prayer. Because he needed to be in touch with who? Yeah, dude, he needed to be in touch with God. I think sometimes in our prayers, we expect God maybe to care more about our junk than we do. Yeah, God, take care of that. I'm going to go over here and play. <laughs> take care of this, God. I'm going to go worry about this thing I don't, shouldn't be worrying about. Oh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, God, make all that work, and as soon as you work that out, I'll quit doing this. No, man. I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus. He grew up with a perfect brother. Any of y'all have a perfect brother? <laughs> Or your parents thought they were, right? Yeah, but I'm just saying, he literally had a perfect brother. Something was broken. Jesus didn't do it. It was, G it was, it was, it was one of them. He resented it. And when Jesus announced he's the Messiah, what did his brothers and sisters say? You're a nut. <laughs> hey, go prove it. Go prove it. And, and, and it wasn't until after the resurrection, Jesus or James saw Jesus and he goes, oh, uh oh. <laughs> And he knew more about Jesus than any of the disciples he spent his whole life in all of that. Man, and they called him, anybody know what his nickname was? Old what? 
camel knees. Why would they call? How many of y'all, Barb, someone says, oh, hey, Barb, hey, old camel knees. <laughs> would you think that was a compliment? <laughs> no. What lady here wants camel knees? I'm just saying. What guy wants camel knees? I'm just saying. But they called him camel knees. There was no greater compliment. Emily, why'd they call him camel knees? He was always on his knees praying, and his knees were just bags of flesh because he was on his knees praying. James, the brother of Jesus, knew that talking to God Almighty, to see God Almighty's perspective was important. Don't you think we should be? But again, when's the last time we've had that earnest prayer? So man, and, and, and again, the prayer needs to be for others. We pray for ourselves. There's a lot of different ways to pray, but man, how hard are we praying for others? How many of y'all know any politicians that really, when you see their face, it upsets you? Can I see your hand? Seriously, put your hand up. If there's a politician right now, I could call out names and we could have a festival on this. Hey, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for that person? What if they got saved? If they got saved and saw life from God's perspective, would life not be better? How about the whole group of politicians, right? What did they say? A, a, a group of baboons, you know, a whole pack of baboons is called Congress, right? Literally. No, literally, like, you know, there's a herd of elephants, but a, a, a herd of, of baboons is actually called con a Congress. Look it up. Unless the meme on Facebook's lying, and we know that doesn't happen. But, <laughs> but literally, we pray. Pray for people that upset you. Pray for that instead of, in, instead of everything else we do. But man, again, that's what sacrifice is. Love is sacrificial. How many of y'all want to see somebody go to hell? Anybody? Don't raise your hand, please. Man, I wouldn't want to, I'm my worst enemy with what I know hell is. I wouldn't want to see anybody go to hell. If I don't want to see them go to hell, who's the only one that can save them? God. And so, can I save them? So who do I need to be talking to about them? God. And if he gives me the opportunity to share the gospel, more important, they're watching the gospel in my life than hearing my words. I got to share words sometimes, yeah. But man, I got to spend most of my time talking to God to soften their heart the same way he had to soften mine. How many of y'all know that you are the hardest person in the world to save? Yeah. Sometimes we think, oh, that person's going to be way harder than me. No, dude, you were horrible. <laughs> you were hard to save. You, you, every one of us, it was impossible with man, but it's only possible with God. And in fact, just because your sins were on the inside and you look socially acceptable, that doesn't mean anything. Sin is sin, and it keeps us out. So God can save anyone, and we pray. That's sacrificial. So Friday, look at Friday. We're only going to dive a little bit into Friday here. So Friday night, just midnight or so, all of a sudden they're praying in the garden. What happens next, y'all? Hey, guys, it's, it's getting ready to happen. What, what's getting ready to happen? All of a sudden, a, a herd of soldiers came. A herd. What are they called? What, what should we call soldiers? A what? A group. Okay, a group's good. I'm sorry. Dude, if I'm there praying, I'm thinking a herd, man. It's like I'm praying. I mean, <laughs> those are people, actually. No, but Jesus knew everything, man. And, and here they come, and then, oh, my goodness, Judas. How many of y'all would have liked to just smack the junk out of Judas? Literally, with what you know is getting ready to happen, how many of y'all would have like, oh, if you were Jesus, you're going to go through but dude, he's getting his lights punched out first, right? But Jesus is sacrificial. He already knew what was going down. This was all part of God's plan. They get up and they're all coming in, and Peter's like, 
grabs a sword, right? And what does he do with the sword? Shoot! Cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, no, no, none of that. And he touches his ear and his ear comes back. When they even said to Jesus, they said, they, he said, Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. What happened to them all? Dude, they fell down. Just by the power of his name, they fell down. How many of y'all would have at least had a second thought about arresting them at that point? You should have, but it's amazing what pride and peer pressure. It's amazing what happens when you're all part of a group and you don't make decisions because you're not thinking, your emotions, your everything's all jacked up. Instead of looking at, man, if I'm there, I would like to think I was wise enough that if he said I am and everybody fell down. Dude, that's really being slain by the Spirit, all right? I'm just saying. You know, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And, 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 and so Judas comes up and like, hey, buddy, what's up? You know, I'm, you know and, and what did he do? Kissed him. <laughs> what could have been Judas's motive? What could have he been even thinking in this? Well, if you know, here's my thought. And this is not biblical. It's not, I'm going to ask God. In fact, probably within 20 years, I will be able to ask God personally, because I don't know that I've got that much longer on this planet. But listen, man. When Judas was a zealot, in fact, back in Jesus's day, there were four kinds of people that were trying to escape the, they were trying to escape all of the evil in the world. There were the Pharisees and the Pharisees said, if we can just make everything Jewish, man, everything Jewish and we obey the law, how we interpret the law, it's all good. And that was their whole fight. And they were not actually the rich people. They were just middle class businessmen. They were your everyday, they were the Kiwanis club. They were the Lions Club. They were the everyday biz. They were your Viet, not VFW. That's the older ones. But anyways, um, uh, they they were the club man. They were the businessmen trying the Rotary Club, trying to build playground. Trying, but they wanted everything to be Jewish, and that was their goal in life. Then there were the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin were the, actually the rich guys that actually ran all of the religion of that day. They actually were the temple leaders. They were in charge and they were filthy rich. How'd they get filthy rich? <laughs> yeah, from doing illegal things in church. And they didn't even, the guys running church did not even believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in eternity. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. All they believed is, hey, if we're succeeding now, God must love us. And there's nothing after this. That was the Sadducees who were actually running the religion. So when Jesus came and said, hey, your religious leaders are wrong, were they wrong? Yeah, they didn't even believe in an afterlife when that's all, that's the most important part. Pharisees, again, we're trying to keep everything Jewish. Let's set a standard of morals and laws. And here we are. And then there was another group called the Essenes. You know what the Essenes did? The Essenes said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go seclude ourselves in caves. This is where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that stuff in some Essene caves. They said, we're going to go isolate ourselves away from this wicked society and we're going to have our own little group where we can th keep everything holy and righteous. Sounds good, doesn't it? Only they brought sin with them because they're sinful. <laughs> they just picked what sin they didn't want to be a part of. And they considered they were pretty self-righteous people in their own little secluded group. Oh, look at us. We don't do that. And we don't do that. And we don't. Yeah, but you're sinners. You do this. And who's going to reach people for Christ when you're hiding out in the cave? But that's who they were. And then the fourth group were people called zealots. Zealots were kind of like, I, I equate them to people who would bomb abortion clinics, to make a point. Zealots would carry a machaira sword. In fact, we see this in scripture. Not a big sword, it's a little dagger. And zealots, 
figured the more Romans I can kill, more oppositions to God's plan I can kill. Now, God's plan wasn't God's plan. It was their idea of God's plan. The more people I can kill who are Romans, the less, the less Romans there are. So if we kill off all the Romans, we're in charge. They know it wasn't really going to happen. So their goal would, they would be walking up in a crowd. There'd be a Roman soldier and they would bring out the Machira sword. They'd kill him, put it away, walk away. They were literally killing people. That's what the zealots were. Uh, Judas, he was a zealot. So you know what I'm kind of thinking? This is my idea that Judas was thinking, dude, we're going to force God's hand. Aren't you glad you've never tried to force God's hand? <laughs> he said, we're going to force, I think we're going to force God's hand. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get this joker arrested. I, I believe he might be God. I believe he, he's the most biggest candidate, best candidate we got for being the, the, the Messiah. I'm going to force his hand. If, if they arrest him and they beat him, he's not putting up with that. How many of y'all would have thought that if God, that God would actually put up with being beat beyond recognition? So I think Judas maybe was for trying to force God's hand, get Jesus arrested, and then watch Jesus basically fight back, and now he's got the kingdom like he wants, like Judas wanted. Just a thought. Regardless, he sold his soul and he did it. For 30 pieces of silver, he turned Jesus over and kissed him. And then later when he realized it didn't happen the way he thought it should, what did he do? He hung himself. And that was by maybe 9 o'clock that morning. It wasn't days later. But Jesus was, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, and he was arrested. Jesus was interrogated by Annas. Okay, so Caiaphas was actually the high priest, and Annas was really, how many of y'all know there's really people in charge, and then there's people that are elected to be in charge? Even in your condo association, how many of y'all know the elected officials are not really the ones that are in charge, right? You know there's the grand poobas that are always in charge, Right? It doesn't matter in any community you've got. And so Annas was the father-in-law, and he really couldn't qualify to be the high priest, whatever, but he was the dude in charge. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, I think is what it was, was the guy who was elected to be the high priest. They brought him to Annas first. They brought him to him, and really, they convicted him. They convicted him, you know, hey, well, you know, they, they, all kinds of illegal trials in the middle of the night. Why did Jesus put up with those? Bonnie, why did Jesus put up with it? Why didn't he just call down legions of angels and just knock it out? It's nonsense. Would you have been tempted to call down legions of angels? I would have. I don't want you to. But why did he not? That wasn't the plan, and he sacrificed his life to God the Father for that plan and his part in that plan, which was a sacrifice for us. I mean, y'all are glad he didn't quit. Yeah, dude, we would be lost. We'd all be busting hell wide open. So, uh, and, and then as they're, they're illegally doing that, how would you like your best friend denying you? <laughs> That's what's happening. You can read about it in those chapters. Peter denies knowing Jesus. Peter denies jo knowing Jesus a second time again. Uh, Jesus is now tried by Caiaphas, the actual legitimate guy, but illegitimate guy. He's mocked, he's hit, and he's spit on. Marley, somebody walks up. You're a pretty nice guy, right? I mean, what is, yeah, if somebody just went and they hawked a loogie right in your face, dude. <laughs> would, would, and they did it more than once, man. Do you think you'd lose your temper at some point? You're a mild-mannered guy. I can't think of anything. They, they were spitting on him. They were hitting him. You're not the son of God. Prove they're blindfolding him. They were hitting him, spitting on him. How many of y'all ever been mocked? Have any of you ever lost your temper because you were mocked? How much mocking does it take for you to lose your temper? 
Not much. I've seen y'all on Facebook. I'm just saying. Dude, man, we get, we, we get mocked, and it's like, oh, no, you, no holds barred. You did not go there. You drew, and, and, and now we can justify anything we do. But again, Jesus was mocked. Why didn't he quit? Because it wasn't about him, and it wasn't true. <laughs> he knew what the real deal was, and, and they're going to have to answer for that again. He was hit. Man, somebody hits you. What do you do? What did Jesus tell him to do when somebody hit you? turn the other cheek. See how radical that was? It's even radical here. And, and again, we, we can go into all this in great detail later at another time, not now. In fact, we're only going to go for a few more minutes here, but he was mocked. He was hit. How many of y'all would draw the line when they hunk a loogie in your face? Hawk a loogie in your face. Yeah, dude, that is nasty. A COVID loogie, I'm just saying. Let's draw, let's go even further, man. And, 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 and so again, spitting on people, they were spitting on him, but he didn't quit. You understand he was beat beyond recognition, and it's one thing to deserve that. I mean, I've been beat, I've been beat beyond recognition, and I deserved it because I was using my big mouth to do something I wasn't supposed to do. That's why I praise God he called me to be a preacher. I get to do, use it for something good now, <laughs> And none of y'all have seen fit to hit me yet. <laughs> so, But dude, beat him beyond recognition. He allowed that to go on. I mean, the only person who would allow something like that to go on as a human, it seems, would be somebody who's utterly depressed and they don't care. Take me out. But he had such gum. Can you imagine? Now you know what meekness means. Meekness means power under control. It'd be like somebody beating and spitting and 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 hitting and mocking Mike Tyson. <laughs> Can you imagine? In his heyday, when he was psycho, not that he's not now, but but can you imagine? You know, you're up there and you're running your mouth, you're spitting on him, you're hitting him. I mean, it's only a matter of time for Mike Tyson's going to lose it and punch you out or bite your ear, one of the two. But literally, Christ sat there and he took it. He was silent, it says in, in Isaiah. It was predicted. Peter denies Jesus for the third time. Oh, man. This is after he's been beaten, been, been mocked. He's been stripped a couple of times. How many of y'all being stripped in front of a whole barracks of soldiers would draw the line, be a place to draw the line? Yeah. Naked. He's barely clothed. He's beat beyond recognition, and they're carrying him off to the next stage. And Peter just denied him, and he made eye contact with Peter. Oh, man. When you read the book of Peter, First and Second Peter, think about that moment and what Peter's writing because that was monumental in Peter's life. Can you imagine being Peter? Oh, I'm going to fight to the death, and you've just mocked him the third time. Now you see him beat beyond recognition walking by you. Peter denied him the third time. Christ, But did Christ hate, hate Tom? Did Christ hate Peter? No, in fact, he said, I still got plans for you. You're going to be the leadoff kicker on my kickball team, you one-legged kickball person. He said, man, I'm going to make you into the I'm going to make you into this leader. He loved Peter. Even though Peter did that, love is sacrificial. It's not about us. And as soon as it's, not, it's about us, it's not sacrificial anymore. The Sanhedrin sentenced Jesus to die. By the morning time, Judas hangs himself, y'all. Judas goes back and says, yeah, I did a wrong thing. Here, take this money back. And, and did they take the money back? No, man, they said they bought, they bought a, the potter's field that was all dug up and said, we'll bury people there because, oh, we can't have blood money going back into the treasury. We can sure have it going out, but we can't have it come back. Their righteousness was so fake. Judas went and hung himself because he made a mistake, a bad mistake. 
I don't know if it could have ever turned out different. I don't know if he could have asked for forgiveness. I really don't know, but he hung himself because he realized his plan wasn't going to work out. Pilate hears the case against Jesus, and Pilate's like, no, nah, dude, I don't want to do this. <laughs> his wife's like, hey, I had dreams. Don't be messing with this guy. Pilate's trying to like, why do they want to kill you? Why do they want to do all this? Man, just talk to me. I have the power. He's, Jesus says, no, you don't have any power. You don't have power unless I give you the power. Jesus is taken to Herod now, and when he got taken to Herod because he was a Galilean, what, did, what was Herod looking for, y'all? Anybody remember? Herod saw Jesus coming like, ooh, I've never met Jesus, because he wanted to see magic tricks. <laughs> Can you imagine Christ coming? Yet he's humble. He's just following the plan. Herod wants to see magic tricks. He's not going to see any, so he t- sends him back to Pilate. Pilate resumes Jesus' trial. Jesus is beaten and given a crown of thorns. He's sentenced to die and beaten some more. And he's carried, and he carried his, uh, our cross with him. I think about this being beaten, man. And it was a cat of nine tails. And I've told you this before, but first of all, they would just, they would take you into the center. They had a post and they would grab that. You would be tied to that post. They would strip everything off of your back. And the dude who used the cat of nine tails, that was his job. You think he, I mean, that's his only job. You think he was pretty good at it, Sean? You think he found creative ways to do it? It's his only job is to beat people with this cat of nine tails, which was nine pieces of leather. And it had bone and glass and metal at the ends of it. So Chris, when they hit your back with that, what's going to happen initially? Yeah, it's going to stick. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a little whip that, ah, uh, ah. Uh, and they couldn't beat anybody more than 40 times because that was illegal. That was just inhumane according to their law. So they beat them 39 times. That's what they would do. But first time, nine things stick in his back and they're going in. Man, how many of y'all right there, if you had the ability to call in the angels and, and even realizing a bunch of people aren't ever going to believe that you were really their savior, you weren't really going to save them. You didn't really, you know, they were like, yeah, that's a bunch of foolishness. That's just, how many of you, if you know the majority of the world, because that's what he said, there's a narrow path and there's a wide path. The wide path is everybody making their own religion, including a bunch of church people. He said, the narrow path is the one that believes I am the way, the truth, the life, and you can only come to the Father through me. How many of y'all, if you were up there and got hit with the first nine and realized there's only going to be a little handful that are going to accept what you're doing as sacrifice, and all these other people are going to think it's foolish. How many of y'all would say, man, you know what? Call the angels in. Call, uh, most of us in reality aren't nearly as tough as Christ as a man we would have called in the angels a long time ago. But he loves you so much. He had to do this. So here it is, nine things stuck in his back. Chris, you think they went up there and they had another guy that specially pulled him out with tweezers and gave him a little antiseptic? No, dude, you know what they did? It was stuck. And they ripped it out. So now there's nine gashes in your back. What do you have in your back to hold everything together? In the front, you've got ribs. What do you got in the back? absolutely nothing. And people's guts literally fell out when this happened. That's the first one, nine. The second one, bam, rip it down. Now, how many is that, y'all? 18, bam, another one. I'm not saying math class, but I'm just saying nine times 39 is what? And that I do need your help with. 
Remember when your teachers used to say, oh, you're not going to have a calculator everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we do. But literally, 9 times 39, what is that, y'all? Yeah, whatever these guys are saying, I'm just saying, dude, your back is ripped to shreds. Can you even imagine staying there through that? What could possibly hold you there, Barb? What could hold you there to put up with that? With you could quit anytime you wanted. What could hold you there? Love. And, and you know, remember when you told me maybe a year or so ago? I don't know how long it's been now. It could be longer. Remember when you told me, man, God is pursuing me. That's his love for you. That's what held him there. If you were the only one, Barb, he would have stayed there and held it. But fortunately, there's more of us there. Every one of us, his love held him there. Man, and, and, and he just ripped beyond shreds. And then now, they put a cloak back on him, a scratchy burlap cloak. He's got, he's got thorns in, he's bleeding. Anybody ever get punched in the face where your whole face is full of blood? If you are, you live my life. <laughs> I'm saying I've been there, and your, your face, when it bleeds, dude, there's blood all over the front. It bleeds hard. He's beat beyond recognition now. They tie him to a crossbar. They tie him to the crossbar, and he's got to carry his cross. They do enable somebody to help him with that. And it says he's crucified. Man, he stayed there and allowed himself to be crucified because God's love is sacrificial. It was part of his plan. If we love God, he causes us to love others. As simple as that. But as soon as we start making everything about us and everything about now, and you'll find plenty of support for that instead of what God is trying to do in our life, we quench the Holy Spirit and we forget whose we are. That's why it's so important that we see life from God's perspective and we help others do the same. Hey, I know y'all ain't been out this early in months now, but uh, the next step, what we're going to look at, uh, and we'll look at this next week, but I want to look at the last seven things that Christ said on the cross. And we'll look at that next week, and you'll see more of this sacrificial love that he had just through what he said. You know, do you guys remember real super quick, first thing he said when he was up on the cross? Father, forgive them. <laughs> Whew, they don't know. Father, forgive them. Crystal, she has no clue what she's doing, man. She got no clue of what she's doing, man, every time she sins. But Father, forgive her. You know, next thing he had those guys up on the, I said we're going to go over in more detail next week. But, you know, the next thing he had those, uh, the thieves up on the cross, one started railing on them and making fun of them. And the other one said, yeah, man, take me to paradise. And what did he say? This day you be in paradise with me. Next thing, he's being beat. He's up there on the cross and he sees his mom. And he sees John, he says, hey, mom, John, take care of my mom. If there's ever a time in history when you could be justified for being selfish, it would be as you're beaten beyond recognition, hanging on a cross. But all he cared about was his mom. That's three. And then all of a sudden it got really, really dark, right? Was there another one before that? Maybe, uh, oh yeah, it was in John. He said, I thirst. <laughs> and reading he said, I thirst is... As you're hanging on a cross, the reason they break your legs is so that because every time that you went down, your diaphragm would strangle your lungs. So when you went down and you had no air in your lungs, your diaphragm would do it. And the only way you could get air in your lungs again would be by doing what? Pulling yourself up again. 
on the nail rid, you know, stretched wounds that you have. They would use their legs to push themselves back up. That's why they broke the legs at the end so they couldn't push themselves up. So many people died of, 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 of suffocation and of dehydration. It was the most cruel form of punishment there was. And then in spite of what you see where people were up on a cross looking down, man, dude, they made the cross eye level. It was like this high, just eye level. So everybody walked by, they saw the fear, the death, the terror in their eyes. And they were like, I don't ever want to cross Rome to have that happen. And that's how they could spit on them and rail on them. But man, as you went down, I thirst. They tried to give him some vinegar <laughs> on his beaten up face, man. And he, he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, and then all of a sudden at noon, what happened, y'all? I said I was going to do this next week, but listen, Holy Spirit's on the roll. What did he say was next? What did he say after that? It all went dark at noon, right? At noon, it's pitch black. What do you think everybody said when all of a sudden it's pitch black at noon? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And for three hours, we know from Scripture that all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were laid on him, and only he could take that. I, don't even, I can't even explain. My brain can't even fathom it. But in the middle of the darkness at three o'clock, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, you know? And he's calling out to God. What did he normal, normally call God, y'all? Father. Because at this point with all the sin in the world, all the sin in the world, it was he was just my God. My God. I'm, 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 not, I'm not the son. I'm, I'm, you're just God. He took all of our sins on there. And then once that was done and all those sins were taken away, what was it that he said? Yeah. And, and you know, it ain't like the movies, y'all. The movies are like, it is finished. Like he's whooped and pooped, dude. Morgan, you ever have like a big, long project at school? And, and, when it, and, and it wears you out. You're exhausted, right? And, and, and what happens when it's done? Are you just like, it, it is finished. Is that what you do? No, what do you do when you finish a big project? Yeah, we're going out to dinner. We're going. It's like, I mean, literally, this is a victory cry. It's finished. What we started way back here when we were going to make a bunch of messed up people give them to you, Jesus. He said, it's finished. Now these people can be fixed and they can be perfected in this process. It's finished. It's done. Now I can be reunited with you, Father, and nothing to separate us again. So now there's only a couple more things. What does he say now? He's like, yeah, yeah. Same thing Christopher Columbus said after Christ said, but yeah, he said, oh, into my hand, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He died. They didn't kill him. He finished. And then he went home <laughs> in all of that. Isn't that awesome? He finished it for you. So what do you got left to finish for him, man? I'm just... That I wasn't even playing. I don't know where that came. That came from the Holy Spirit. What do you got to finish for him? And I think that's all I really got to say about that. I could think of some more stuff, but God just dropped the mic, man. I'm just saying. That's, what, that, that's, really, that's really where I'm at and is we're left to finish for him. So again, we're supposed, our eternity's set, y'all. How many of y'all believe there just ain't much time left? Yeah, I don't know, but I'm looking at some of y'all. Y'all ain't got much time left. Some of y'all just, 
But literally, we don't know. But there's nothing has happened for him to come back right now, y'all. He could come back. It's again, there's such little time. And, and, and it's not about making every the mistake is when we make it all about here right now. Realize you're set for eternity and sell it all to him right now. And it'll be just like having Jesus walking right alongside you. Yes, it'll be sacrificial, but yeah, it'll all be worth it. We think selfishness is going to be worth it, but it's not. Selflessness is worth everything. But you can only do that if he's your Lord and Savior. If at some point he's brought conviction in your life and shared with you that if you died, you don't know you're going to heaven. You don't know your sins are paid for. You don't know. You just don't know. And you can believe that he died on a cross to pay for your sins. If you can believe that, he's giving you faith to believe that. Just go for it. Is there anybody here that's ever given their life to Christ and wished they hadn't? How many of y'all wish you'd have done it sooner? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I wish I had done it way sooner. But the fact is, he's given you that desire and he's given you that ability. Just do it. And trust him by faith. And then he'll change your desires and he'll give you the ability to love and be a loving person. Even you, Selma. Dude, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Jules here, man, she makes me coffee. And no, I'm just messing with you. No. <laughs> I know you're busy at Rowan, no, and you are loving. I'm just, I'm just giving Jules props because she's awesome. But, <laughs> but, but literally, man, he'll change you. And you got a home in heaven. So if you've never given your life to him, man, do it. Just surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. If you have the desire, it's because he gave you the desire. And when he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, that's like the wind. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's leaving, but you know when it's there. So don't think, oh, I can do this tomorrow. I can do there might not be no wind tomorrow. You might not have that desire. You got the desire now, do it. You won't be sorry. And for those of us that are believers that have given our life to him, Oh my goodness, man. Let's get life in perspective. And let's, every time the cold people come, <laughs> every time things get agitated because they encounter our love, you hang out and you love people just because God said to love them. You let God deal with the results. You represent him. I mean, you think about agitation. Did Jesus's love agitate some folks enough to crucify him? But there were also a lot that came through and became hot on fire for him. So just love, but you've got to get out of the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thanks for taking care of us. And Father, thanks for giving me direction on how far and what to do with all of this. Because Father, I just fill up and count on you to make the words come out. And even as Emily prayed, that nothing from me would be there and it'd all be from you. And I know I get in the way of that, but Father... I just pray that you would take your word and you'd penetrate each of our hearts and you would give us courage to do what your truth says is the truth. Father, if someone needs to give their life to Christ, pray they do it. Someone needs to um, get close to you, they do it. That's all of us, Father. I pray that we would truly take cold fronts and make them hot. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.